I always have to decide if I feel like it's going to be a good one, a, a good session. So, I'm hoping you guys are good. Yeah? So, <laughs> what was I there? Spiritual axiom. Oh, the spiritual axiom is uh, that whatever the ego, whatever you want to call it, the mental, I call it selfing, whatever the selfing the ego comes in contact with, it takes advantage of. Yeah? So, if you question that, you'll see that it registers to be true. But how does it become in contact with things? Yeah? In other words, how does the ego, if you want to call it ego, I don't like that word, but selfing, let's say, how does the quote-unquote self become in contact with something to, be, to take advantage of it? What precedes that meeting? Or what actually brings that meeting into an appearance? Isn't it consciousness, yeah? There would have to be an awareness of that thing to have contact with it, yes? Before you take advantage of it. So, the mental process called selfing isn't producing the contact. It's just taking advantage of the contact. What's, what's allowing the contact is consciousness, yeah? There's an awareness that I'm aware of something, yeah? Now, once my I'm aware of something... There's a mental process that's running that claims that and it's and it interprets interprets the seeing of something as I'm the one who's seeing it. Yeah. It's like the first heist in a way. So it what it feels is the conscious contact and it neuters it and it becomes something you you're doing. So alright. So the ego, whatever it comes in contact with, what's providing that contact? Is it the ego? Or the self, or the selfing, or is it consciousness? It's a big deal, really, because the solution is right there. So, all right, whatever I come in con- whatever the selfing comes in contact with, you'll take advantage of. That's a given. That's what happens. Yeah. So, how does it take advantage of it? In some respects, it, it, it's represented by the word "my." So, the body, my body; thoughts, my thoughts; feelings, my feelings. Wife, my wife. House, my house. Like the old uh, Talking Heads song. Is this my beautiful wife? Is this my beautiful house? Yeah. How is it your beautiful wife and your beautiful house when it's my wife and my house? Yeah. The claiming of it. Now it's yours, so to speak. <laughs> it's a big leap, really, if you see it. So, here's this movement of claiming. But what's so funny? What's allowing that contact... What's allowing the meeting to occur before the claiming? The claiming doesn't happen before the meeting because there'd be nothing to claim. Yeah? There wouldn't be a claimant and there wouldn't be what's claimed. It comes after, in a sense, the conscious contact. Now, how we, how the mental process gets rid of that first square of the game of life and makes the starting point the second square, where it's the one who's doing it, when it's the one who's conscious, that's after the mental process has claimed it, yeah? It forgets the consciousness for all intents and purposes, yeah? It remembers what it becomes conscious of, and it's constantly remember what it's conscious as, which is Paul, but it very rarely remembers consciousness. therefore once that's in place the game board goes on now there's maybe only 40 moves but you do laps around those moves you have the same desires the same wants maybe it's a house then it's a car then it's this and that but it's it's just variations but it's the same board 
and everything seems to go back to the first square, which is square two, in a sense. And so starting the game from square two, you're probably going to miss a large, important part of the game. (laughs) Maybe the whole driving force of the game has been forgotten, and now the emphasis is on you as the doer. You as the haver, you as the big chooser, you as the one who has volition, and man, you should be guilty about some of the things you've chosen to do. And you can't live with that guilt, so you've got to be busy dumping it on your significant other or someone. You wouldn't do it to a stranger because they may kick your ass, but you'll do it to someone who loves you because they'll seem to take it. You know? But there's an imperative need to uh, discharge because your processing doesn't work well. Yeah, you're not processing the game because you're off the square, you know? So, what I like to look at is who is it that's in conscious contact? If you find out there isn't anyone who's in conscious contact, maybe consciousness will dawn on it, dawn on the mind. Maybe the mind will actually reflect consciousness as what it is, which it isn't an attribute that a thing has, but it is no thingness. The begetter and the beginning and the holder and the reinforcer and the illumination of this whole place. Consciousness. Or like this guy was saying in that video, space. Yeah. So space truly is what's actually going on. What we call real is an appearance in the space. Just like in the sky. I always use this uh, analogy. But there's the sky... And usually when people describe the sky, they just describe what's in it, clouds, yeah? They don't really describe the sky, because you can't describe the sky, because it's empty, it's a space, yeah? And things happen in it, things appear in it, things fly through it, yeah? But every bird that ever shat, or sh- you know, took a shit, it never stuck on the sky. It always fails on a thing, doesn't it? Usually your car. <laughs> it never sticks on the sky. <laughs> So the sky is inherently empty, yet it allows a lot of stuff to appear in it. Things travel through it, airplanes go through it every day, and they may hit another airplane or a bird, and another thing, but they never run into sky. Yeah, they just fly right through it. They don't even notice it. They maybe notice the winds that blow through it, but they don't notice the sky whatsoever. So in a sense, the largest quote-unquote thing here is a no thing. Yeah, And because... Why is it that we're blind to no-thingness? Why is there an act of blindness to no-thingness when we keep seeing things all day? Thoughts are things, you know? We see thoughts, we see people, we see feelings, we, you know, we're aware of all those things. But we're not aware of no-thing, it seems. I would say it's because thing, being identified as a thing, begets interest in other things. And when that interest in other things gets extreme, you're totally unaware of nothingness. And I would say the source of most suffering in life, not pain, but suffering, is the forgetfulness of nothingness. And how is that supported? By constantly remembering yourself as a thing. They're both activities that promote each other, yeah? There's not just, there's nothing called forgetfulness of nothingness. There's a remembrance or an obsession with things that produces or provokes an appearance of not knowing no things. The more obsessed with self, the more identification 
of being a body, a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, is the is the imperative or the uh, alpha and the omega, then the sense of no thingness will now very rarely be sensed. And when it is sensed, you'll misname it. You'll call it something. You'll usually call it an effect by something you did. Like you brought about the no thingness. You know what I mean? It was my good works that brought about the sense of presence. You know, the presence of what? Not a thing. We sense presence all day of things. But the sense the presence is of no thingness, yeah? Yet, when we actually sense the presence of no thingness, and there's no me, but when there's a sense of the presence of no thingness, the interpretation is that it's you as a thing are sensing the presence of no thingness as an object. You're still the big enchilada. And how are you ever going to know what you can't know? You have to objectify it. You've got to make it into something to know it. And that's how we lose the truth. We make it into something. We lose the sense of presence because we make it into something. We don't allow it just to be what it is, which is nothing or nothing, and then find out about it by having that approach. We think we know it. And or we think someone else knows it, and we're going to see that person with the hopes that maybe some of them knowing it will rub off on us, and we'll be one of the special ones that know it. Yeah, but that that thing that's being known then has been objectified. You've lost the whole spirit of it because now it's a something. You have an idea of it. You have a concept of it. It's been framed. The picture is unimportant then. The frame is the whole definition, and that's selfing, self-centeredness. So, what's one to do? Nothing. (laughs) Try it. Try doing nothing. It's very difficult. (laughs) As soon as you do nothing, it's something again. So, in a way, we run into this axiom of recovery, which is self can't get out of self. See? Why is that? Let's say in recovery, you look at it as, hey, maybe self's the problem, that's what they say. After all these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of unabated alcoholism, wrecking people's lives, and other people getting lobotomized, and put into addicts, and put into insane asylums, there was a solution dropped in here. 1939, they wrote a book of recovery. And they sort of uh, had a pretty good definition, or a pretty good... uh, description of the problem and they got pretty damn close you know in my humble opinion they said the root of this whole problem is obsession with self you're obsessed with this idea of being you you know and that's what's driving you crazy and in a way the drinking and the drug use or the pornographic use or the sexual acting out or this and that are all ways of trying to relieve that dilemma the obsession with self. You want to get out of self. And most since I was about six years old, I've been trying to get out of self my whole life. Yeah? That's I, nothing, you know, it wasn't my thumb that was uncomfortable. You know? It wasn't usually any part of my body. It was something happening yeah, in this realm, a mental realm, that was sort of causing a disease and a discomfort in the way I traveled every day. And it, did, and it really demanded some freaking relief. And so I found it with alcohol and drugs, but it was quite temporary. Yeah? And it actually elongated the problem. So my solution became part of the problem, which is always the case with this. 
self can't get out of self. It's, and so, somebody just sent me this thing from an old spiritual teacher, and I've been saying this, and it was nice to get validated by this guy. I don't know who he was, but he said, you know, the first addiction is the mind is addicted is addicted to be, being a self or becoming a self. It can never be a self. See, if it could be a self. Yeah, if it could be a self, there would be a point where it would arrive and be a self. And you know what? You'd probably be okay. You really are. It's trying to become something you cannot become, which is frustrating. Yeah? And then it slips you another double Mickey. It has you believing you're already something that you want to unbecome. You know what I mean? Like a bad person. So the mind's busily trying to jump from one thing to another thing, not realizing it's like a slinky effect. This movement produces the next movement, produces the next movement. Yet, the slinky isn't two things. It's one thing. Yeah? And one end part of it moving this way generates the ass to move this way. And on and on and on and on. And there's no escape. Yeah? Maybe there is. I haven't found it. So... If that's the initial desire of the mind is to become a self and it can never fulfill that, it's going to be fucking frustrated. Yeah? And yet, because the system it's relying on has failed, it ain't going to give up. <laughs> it's not going to admit defeat. It's not going to surrender. It's just going to keep on churning it out using the failed formula. And then to, to excuse itself from that, it's going to have rationalization, it's going to have to blame itself and others because it's not producing the goods. Yeah? It's a failed system. So it's constantly desiring to become, but it can never fulfill that desire. You know what it's been like when you've had an unfulfilled desire? Just in a day? Let's say for me, when I wanted Coke and I couldn't get it, that day wasn't a walk in the park. It was fucking really frustrating. I was calling people, kissing ass, doing just selling leather jackets, anything. And even if it was shitty stuff, and it was more frustration. It was just unbelievable. It's like, <laughs> it's, it is a bitch when you need something that you don't have. <laughs> you know? And then you need it even when you have it. And you need it, and it goes on and on and on and on. Why do you think the mind is like? That's just a pale reflection. That's an expression or a manifestation of the real addiction of mind, which is addicted to an idea that can never be fulfilled. It can't shake off its real nature, which is awareness or no-thingness, to become a thing and only to be a thing. Yeah, It just can't do it. The best it can do is produce a really bastardized, Frankensteinish. Uh, making in the mental realm called a me. <laughs> yeah. A me. <laughs> and what bastard it is, man. Because now the the newness that's everyone in this room is never going to see me as a me, ever. You're going to see me as a you. Yeah. Yet I will not take that experience and fucking learn from it. I immediately cut it off. It's me. It's me. It's me. Yeah. When the people were saving my ass in Delancey Street, a two-year drug and alcohol program, they not for one second did they see me as a me. That's why my life looked better with them running. Because they saw me exactly as I was appearing, a junkie. Yeah. And I was always getting frustrated. Why don't they understand me? They understood the you perfectly. <laughs> and they knew exactly what the new needed to get relieved from that me. Yeah. 
So this idea of the me, tricky thing. It really is, because it, it breaks us off from learning anything. Because, first of all, now a thought system, which is a run-of-the-mill failed thought system, yeah, called self-centeredness, like in my case, I had a, a, a special, like a subdivision of that called alcoholism. This run-of-the-mill thought system is, is called like one of the most valuable things. It's so unique. No one thinks like I do. No one feels like I do. And no one's done the things that I've done in life. Yeah? And you have this sense of terminal uniqueness that's killing the motherfucking out of you. And then you come into a program and you listen to people and you're just aghast. Because first of all, you were, the only people you were talking to weren't really discussing, you know, the inner workings of their life. They were just, you know, bitching about the dealer or whatever. You know, this is no, no one said, let's reflect, Paul. There's no reflection in that life. Paul, let's pause and reflect. Do we really need to do this shot of coke? Well, if you don't, I'll do it. Let's pause for a second. Let's think this through. You know, none of that was going on. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where was I going? I forgot. <laughs> I always end up at the same place. Somebody was said to. I was at a meeting last night, and they. I have a. I have a little reputation about no self in the program on it. So they mentioned the bond itself. Everyone started to pop, and I was laughing. And she says, "Well, what's the what's the answer?" And I said, "That's the answer. You're able to fucking laugh about it because it's ridiculous. It really is." Yeah. <laughs> so here, where was I? I was in the bond itself. What? Shot call. Oh, shot call. What's that? Reflection. Oh, we found able to reflect. Oh, yes, I'm reflect. No, all that was gone. I'm just on the shot of Coke again. <laughs> I've never seen anyone who get fulfilled by shooting Coke. There's never a point. Not one person I'd ever shot Coke with find one day said, Eureka, I've had enough. I've reached an incredible, stable level of cocaine satiation. No. Addictions never get fulfilled. And an addiction that's an impossibility to ever get fulfilled even has more juice. Why do you think all the other addictions come from? They come from trying to get relief from the first addiction. The mind's addicted to the idea of being the self. It's thwarted at every freaking turn. So what does it do? It tries to get relief. So it gets addicted to something else. And then it gets addicted to something else. You take one addiction away, it spawns, it appears. The same addictiveness hasn't been really deterred. It seeks another thing. Yeah, yeah. But if you're not that self, if you're not that feeling that's being inferred through the claiming of everything, that sense that's being reinforced and inferred by feeling you're the doer of everything, that you're the thinker of thoughts, that you're the feeler of feelings, yeah, it's always being reinforced, but what the hell is re- being reinforced? It's a vague sense of being a self. If you ever look in, you'll never find anything there. It's a story. It's a storyline. It's like an organizing principle. Yeah. But as soon as that organizing principle is set, it has a very huge role in your life because you know what? Mind here, mind here, wherever it's manifesting or expressing through, is what's giving everything all the meaning it has. 
So it is going to be a subjective experience here. And if that thing is controlling what you take to be everything and give everything all the meaning it has, you're probably going to need to get high. You're going to have to, you're going to need to get relief because it's a very claustrophobic system. It's a system that's failed, self-centeredness. Yeah. So we're not questioning the system anymore. I know it's failed. We're questioning what the center of it is. If I'm not that, maybe you'll get relief from the whole system. Because I'll tell you, this idea of being you is what causes your attention to go to the thoughts in the future. Because those thoughts in the future are about you. Yeah? Your idea of being that you, or me, that's the only reason why you travel into Never Neverland and go into the past, to ruminate and kick through the embers of your past, yes? If, if you're not doing it for almost anyone else, are you? It's always me. Let's take that little cherished idea, that little object, objectification, and maybe question, is it you? If it ain't you, you'll, you'll, don't, you won't go on the journeys. You won't live in the mental realm. You'll be stationed in square one. You'll be aware that it's not me that's conscious, and therefore it's not me that's unconscious. It's consciousness. Yeah? That's the beginning and end. That's the constancy of this place. Not you. You're a continuum made up in, in time, and you're going to end just like you began. Yeah? The idea of you. But what's been there every moment of your life was what was eliminating the moment, what was allowing the moment to occur. And it sure ain't you or me, it's awareness, yeah? That's the sense of presence. Because that's its nature, presence. It's not absence, yeah? It's not in the past or the future, it's presence. And if you think that you have to learn how to get into the moment, you bought a bad, bad, bad fucking story. Because every attempt to get into the moment is verifying the belief that you could be out of the moment. And I don't believe that's so. I don't believe you have to get into the moment any more than you're in it now. Because you and the moment are synonymous. Without what you are, there ain't no moment. So It's just, it's an unbelievable trick. People buy tons of books about how to get into the moment. Yeah. I know how to really, really get into the moment. Or, Let's have a really, really turbocharged moment. Like, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Has anyone ever finished one of those books completely? You always give up about chapter four. You know, it's just, and then you buy another one. And it just goes on and on and on and on. So, why do you want to try to get into something you can't be out of? That's what, you want to really be in the moment? Entertain that idea. Now, why am I trying to get into something I can't be out of? You'll be so obviously here where you've never not been, it'll really be an, it'll be like an awakening. You know? And the same thing with self. Now, a lot of people who verify or think that's the problem are trying to get out of self. But in a way, if you go to those places, they're the ones who talk about self the most. They're more obsessed with self than people you know, normal, you know, other people. So it's very strange that if you can't be in it, why would you want to get out of it? That's how you, you have the experience of being out of self. Is you realize you can't be in it. Yeah? Then you're out of it. Because why? That's the fact. 
The fact is, you can't be out of it, so the out is constant. There's no in and out. It's out. You know, you can never be in it. Your attention and interest can get absorbed in it, but that ain't what. That's not you. Yeah, that's not you. No. So this is just a, a simple invitation. It's definitely not a draft, and you're not enlisting into anything. And you know, really, if we do a good job here today, you'll leave with exactly what you came here with, nothing. Yeah? And hopefully, over time, you'll start appreciating nothing. Because, you know what? After all the somethings you've acquired, it usually leads to nothing. Anyway, why not start with nothing? Really. Why not? Maybe maybe the space is really the enchilada here. Not all the activity of the things moving hither and thither and all the drama. Maybe that unswerving spaciousness that we're in all day, maybe it could dawn, hey, I may be that. I don't go there, I say I'm not this. I never say I may be that, because that would be not this saying. I just go, hey, I'm not this, and then that dawns on you. And then you sense something that's always been here, but the absence of the sensing of it that is very important here. Yeah? If you can be key into it, it's sort of like when, like in Jesus, you know, he said a lot of things. Sometimes I like this riff on it, where he said, you know, if thy eye be single, your body will be full of light. Yeah? What is no thingness but light? Yeah? So we have we seem to look with two eyes. Yeah. Our mind thinks with two minds. Yes, no, good, bad. Yes. Everything is a dualistic expression here. That's the form of blindness. We can't see the singularity. We can't see the one light. I don't even like to say one light. We can't see the light because this apparatus that we're relying on is not built to see it. But the mind that's moving through this apparatus can see it. And when that mind sees it, then the body is full of light. In other words, you travel lighter here as this supposed body, as this supposed mind, because you know now, like an unspoken yes, that you're not that. And when you're not that, your interest and attention will be freed from that bondage of self and maybe start free-ranging around and enrich your life instead of enslaving it. And you know the quote-unquote problem by the solution. It's like someone shared that thing last night about, well, what does it mean when it says, uh, please relieve us of the bondage of self? And really, a a good answer would have been, well, you're going to have to find that out. Yeah, Just practice our program, stay with us, do what we do, and you're going to know that the real dilemma was the bondage of self when it starts being diminished. Yeah? By its absence, you'll know the presence. Yeah? Yeah. So these are just little, like, this invitation is just like a catalyst. Yeah, You've got the car, you've got the engine, you've got the key, you've got the license, hopefully, registration, doing the yours. And yet it's broken down, and we just took the air filter out, we're just going to put a couple of drops of gas in, prime it, and start it up. You don't stand there and pour another gallon of gas in flood it, yeah? You, the mind is the mind. I have total faith in it. All it needs is just that. This is how it worked for me. I heard this message, yeah? And what it did was, it was really cool. 
I heard this message and it froze my system, my, my uh, program, my workable program, whatever you want to call it, like a computer. It froze it, yeah? And so, while the system was trying to claim what it just heard or read, it got frozen and then mind, another aspect of mind, entertained what was said, yeah? And the difference was huge. Instead of I know, I was stunned into I don't know, and then I just walked around entertaining what I didn't know, and then I found out a lot. Yeah. So that's the value of a message, in a way, or in the energy in the room, it can uh, it can uh, facilitate a pause where the system, which is usually on, it's running quite a lot. Yes, it has to, or there would. Uh, an appearance wouldn't be an appearance unless there was what's projecting the appearance. It has to constantly working. So when there's a wrench thrown in the works and it stops or freezes, yeah, there's something there that doesn't freeze, yeah, unconditional mind, let's say, and that mind sees the little invitation, hey, I'm not that, <laughs> and then it just goes, what? <laughs> and now it starts looking at the system very suspiciously. And then it starts seeing it. And it starts seeing the structure of this little phantom. And so you wake up in a way. It's not that you're not awake, but you become privy to it. Yeah. Something shifts, the calibration of mind shifts. And for me, the translation here is that you'll travel lighter on a consistent basis. It's not going to promise to change the terrain of your life. You know, You'll never get sick again or... You'll never have a thought again. First of all, you never did have a thought, to tell you the truth. But, so, but all these promises, there's no promise like that, but you'll just travel lighter over whatever life has in store for the action figure. You know? I don't know why, but this has a sort of like, it's playing out a role until the time of death as this body, and it's going to play that role out. You know? But it would really be nice if you could travel lighter over it all instead of trying to change it or deny it, but just travel lighter. How can that happen? Not as a self, I'll tell you that. If it could have, it would have already. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, seriously. It's how long do you want to put up with a failed system? <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's failed. All right, well, here's a simple test. Does it have excuses, rationalizations, and blame? Just like if there was a furniture store and I ordered a couch... And I, every time I ordered furniture, it delivered it the day at the time I ordered it exactly the way I wanted it. Would it need any excuses or rationalizations or blame? No, yeah, because it delivered the goods. But if it missed the delivery, oh, the fucking traffic, or, you know what I mean? Someone else's fault. This is what this sounds like up here. Eh? This is like a failed system. You're asking it to bring you fucking relief, and it just keeps promising or reminisces. But it never delivers the goods now, does it? Some guy last night was saying, oh, I went by the bar and I, I thought, oh, a cold martini would be really refreshing now. And I said, yeah, now it would be. But extend that in time. You're fucked. <laughs> because it'll be three in the morning in that rest at that bar and you'll have the last penny and you'll be waiting for someone to go to the bathroom to drink their drink and so on and so on. That's what happens. Yeah. It's a failed fucking system, but you can't leave what you identify yourself as. That's the dilemma, right? Self can't get out of self. 
Why can't self get out of self? Because it's self. It's taking itself to be self. It takes itself to be self when it's really getting bummed out and when it's on a, on a purposeful journey to get out of the self that's really bumming it out. Self can't get out of self. You're the fence post to the parameter of self, yeah? Wherever you are, that's self. The feeling of you is the product of selfing. You're an afterthought. We're so far past the point of square one, there's been an activity of a mental process called selfing that has convinced us that we're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. If you have that feeling, that strong feeling now, you're at the end of the conveyor belt. You just fell off the conveyor belt and you're, you're acting out, yes? Yet when you fall off and hit the ground and feel like it's you, you believe you're prior to the conveyor belt. You're doing the selfing, or the selfing is doing you. No, the selfing is making you. It's making what you take yourself to be. It's making it every day. It has to, because it can't create it. It makes it. It makes it seem like you're that. Yeah? So if you seem like you're that, and you believe that's the beginning of the game, you're in the fifth inning, and you're down like 14 nothing, <laughs> And your relief core is totally burned out. <laughs> you're not coming back. You're going to try to get out of self, and that's it's like those Chinese thumb puzzle things. It doesn't work, yeah? But maybe, maybe I'm not that. Where is where maybe all of this activity, I'm not that it what it infers, you know? When I hear it, this is what it infers. It's me. It's me. It's me. Maybe I'm not that. Maybe. I'm not saying you are not. Maybe. Entertain it. Entertain the possibility. Yeah. Let a thought be a thought, if you possibly can, instead of my thought. Let a feeling be a feeling instead of my feeling. You, I'm telling you, its trajectory will be much different. Its orbit will be shifted. Because my thought is like this. It just orbits around the planet Paul. My feelings. And they're very tight. Yeah? If they're thoughts and feelings, they may like they come in like comets. They come in to the system of your attention, but they go out. This is like, they come in, mine, <laughs> you know, mine. It's like a, gab- a gravity gun. <laughs> My thought, oh, it's driving me crazy now. My feelings, oh, I've had them before, and I'm probably going to have them again, and it makes me feel bad. Oh, the dump, all this problem. <laughs> yeah. You're thinking you're getting attacked, but it's you. It's the mind itself holding this whole system in place. Maybe you're not that. Once this, when the false sun drops out, maybe the real sun will be obvious. Yeah, because we're living in a we're like the moon has taken over our solar system. All of its light is reflected from the sun, but we don't have any idea of the sun. We're taking it to be the moon, the moon, the moon. Yeah. What would happen if the moon dropped out or dropped and it was eclipsing the sun? You'd see the sun. Yeah? This is what it's like. You just wake up. Yeah? You wake up to being awake, basically. You are already that, but you wake up to it. Then you lose interest in yourself and others. And 
all these effects will start occurring to you. Not by you, but to it, yeah? You're just under, like, an experiment. You're not the experimenter. <laughs> You're the experiment, yeah? Some, an aspect of mind starts manifesting and expressing through you, just like other aspects of mind do, like, for me, addiction, yeah? And then you start, you start getting intimation about what that is by its, by its fruits, you know? You start seeing Jesus I talked at this stag meeting, you know, tell you, this morning, and I didn't know it was a stag meeting, so I took, brought Deb, and then they wouldn't let her in. It was just men. Deb had a hang outside somewhere, roaming around the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> stag meeting in AA, recovery program, and there was only men there. And a lot of them were married, and they have a life that's probably, probably very uh, familiar in Marin, but I never had it. I never had kids and the whole... And they have the deep voices, you know what I mean? It's, just, it's a weird... I never go to those type of meetings, stand meetings. And there I am giving a talk, you know, just sharing for a few minutes. And yet, uh, they're so hungry for an idea about how to sort of live with this impress, uh, oppressive activity that we like to call selfie in their heads, how it just drives them their life's so fucking crazy. And they're not, quote-unquote, spiritually inclined, many of them, yeah? They haven't gone to temples or retreats. They've got families that are in softball, you know. Yet, uh, once they get a little flavor, the same mind is there. And as soon as it gets the flavor of that possibility, it just lightens the load like that, yeah? Just a little bit of a possibility that they could understand. Oh, yeah. So, mind knows. It knows. It's aware. It's very clear. For some of us, we just haven't been given the correct invitation. That's all. We haven't been privy or uh, haven't had the opportunity to hear a message but when you hear the one that seems to really hit you, it will be like an unspoken yes. Yeah? And in my life, it turned into the last answer. Yeah? I heard it, I entertained it, and my mind started to uh, come out of that posture of selfing, you know, self-centered. It's like an incredible yogic practice that only has one position, self-centeredness, you know. <laughs> he sits in that for all But for me, when I heard this message, it froze this, and another aspect of mine came out and started to entertain it. Yeah? But it had never had an opportunity in my life to do it. I needed to hear it from someone outside. And it beckoned my, my mind to come out of a certain posture, like a, a very, like, straight-jacket, lazy boy type thing, you know? You just totally... You don't even know you're being, you're bonded, you know? But it came out, and then it heard, and then it, it just finally, it was like, its ability to entertain was put to a good test. Hey, how about let's entertaining nothingness, you know? Let's entertaining sensing the presence of the space that's all around us and permeates everything, yeah? And it met its match, and it enlivens the mind, not deadens it, yeah? 
the mind can reach incredible heights as long as those heights are incredible. If they're not, if they're, too, if they're put to task such as, what do they think of me? It'll go around that, for, that, that small little track in your... It's like putting a marathon runner in a closet, you know? What are they thinking about me at work? What are they thinking? <laughs> on and on and on. It's just relentless. Yeah, it can because it's being its entertaining abilities being defined by the system it's identified as self self-centeredness. It can only see everything from a self-centered point of view. So the sense of being okay never dawns on it. It's I will be okay or I was okay. Yeah, it's like a it's like a giant heist. It's like a it's like Jesus said the thief in the night, but he was talking about the kingdom of God. But this is the one. This is what heisted the kingdom of God. Yeah. And I had a memory of it, a deep one, when I was a kid. I was not in that state. Between two and four years old, I was not. I w- there was no drive to get relief because I was okay. I wasn't thinking about meditation retreats. I wasn't looking myself in the mirror. I didn't demand gap clothing from my mother. They didn't have gap back then, anyway. There was, I didn't care how big my room was. I wasn't thinking my mother was ugly. <laughs> I just loved the people that were around. And there was just a certain uh, spontaneity, spontaneity not really being uh, appreciated because it was being lived. And there was, to appreciate some things, you need the absence of them, yeah? And I got my, I got my absence of it. <laughs> so now I'm really appreciative of it. Because I was in the wasteland, seemingly, for years with addiction. The hell of uh, that pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. That's a pretty good statement, but it doesn't do the state uh, justice. You know? To be pitifully, incomprehensibly demoralized is an unbelievable state of mind and body and emotion. Oof. Yeah, and to revisit it quite a lot in like just a week. <laughs> I mean, to wake up and have that to be the norm is pretty intense. So to have that relieved, and to be and to, and to have heard that the real cause, the real foundation of all that was identification as self. To see that once that self drops, the problem does not exist for you anymore. It, because it doesn't exist as you. It doesn't exist anymore. Where at one point it dominated every breath of my day. Now it doesn't exist for me. What an incredible movement, then. Eh? Just the mind shifting. Not as a self to another point of view from selfing, but questioning that I'm not that, and then shifting, quote-unquote, out of that self-centeredness. And then maybe now you're in centeredness, which is different, yeah? Because everywhere you are is the center. So there's no special... The self doesn't have to be good to feel centered that day. There's the self that all the requirements that the self puts on that sh- of your, your okayness is dismissed. And now you're okay for the fact that you're okay. Inherently, you're centered because wherever you are is the center of wherever you are, yeah? Because the center is everywhere. Yeah, shit, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> and try as you may, you can't do yourself into it. No freaking way. It's impossible. You've got to jump off the boat of the system that's failed. 
Yeah? If you rely on self to get you out of self, it's always a round trip. <laughs> you never get out and keep getting out. You always return. Yeah. So there is a solution. It's an imaginary problem. That's the real solution. But before that, just see what the problem is. And if you see it pretty clearly, you'll distill into I'm not that. And when you're not that, you'll lose interest in it. And you'll see the interest and the attention that was being given to it by this is its lifeblood. You bleed it out by taking away its juice. It has no life. It's just like a parasitical mental movement. It sucks the life out of what you are. Yeah? Or uses it. It can't suck it out. But it uses it. It takes the projector. It takes the film. It takes the, the screen. And it hijacks the movie. And makes it into its own. The story of me. You remember that porno, that soft porno, the story of O? This is like super soft mental porno. The story of me. <laughs> and you're the only one in the theater. <laughs> no one gives a shit. Because they're in their own story of me. <laughs> Literally. No matter how important you think you are, you're going to be a cameo to someone else. <laughs> you're just a cameo appearance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so what I hear saying is, if we ask the question for ourselves, uh, I am not self, then what am I? And eventually we'll begin to stop identifying with the, the self and we'll discover the space. You can say that, but you can drop out the first part, uh, I am not the self, just ask what am I? Don't even put a disclaimer in front of it. I would just ask. Just have an open mind, see what happens. Yeah. The failed system is going to say something, usually. It'll try to rush into the pause. But if you can weather that and, and just keep sitting there. Yeah. And it seems that the only thing that kind of uh, remains after you go to various machinations, science, so on, whatever. You know, it's kind of um, an impersonal thing that is it's got no color, no quality, seemingly. You know, it's, like you said, space. You know, it's just so wide open. It's got no characteristics to pin it down with. And um, that seems to be the only thing that kind of stays or you can't get beyond. And I figure, you know, it's probably um, close to home or close to whatever, whatever I, you know. But what will happen is it'll express through something that does have peculiarities and flavor. Yeah? That's the beauty here. So there's a flute. We're all like flutes. And we're not the player. We're not the producer of the notes. The wind of mind is, let's say. And yet, that wind of mind takes on form and, and expression through the flute. It produces a music. So that's a real joy. That when, if you see that you're not an individual, you, you act more like one than ever. <laughs> Literally. When you see that you're not, you, you're given liberty to act like whatever you're going to act like, you know? Yeah, it's really, it's tripping. So I find you're even more of an expression. Yeah. I mean, now, why, I would see, well, why, why not? 
what do we facilitate here? We've, we're a transfer point of something that can't be seen, no thing, and you can't feel it, taste it, touch it, smell it, but you can hear, you can, and you smell it as other. And I think there's a huge dance going on. And I don't think that's unintended, in a way. I think it's choreographed. Yeah? What choreographs it? I don't know what choreographs it. I just feel it's choreographed, yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't think it is a what. I think there's just, one of its qualities is choreography. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it has a chance to express it here. Because we got all these moving parts and everything else, all different inclinations and proclivities, you know. You can hear this message from a lot of different people, yet their expression may be very different, yeah? They sit quietly, gaze at you lovingly, and other people come in and treat it like dog shit awareness, yeah? Because they like, it seems to work better. So, yeah. But it's all a similar thing, but all the flutes are a little different. I like it, that's how I choose. I have a real appreciation. I wanted to get out of here most of my life. That was my intent since I was younger, since about six or seven. I wanted to split from here. You know, I really did. My my emphasis was get out of here. And I did a pretty good job, my mind did. I was pretty disassociated even being here. Yeah, I was totally gone. But now, it's like it's like... Like that. You hear a beautiful bird like that outside. It's just a real, it's like an enjoyment when your intention and interest is freed up. It can go wherever. You know, you'll hear something, you'll see things, because you're not, it's not just revolving around you all day. And it's really quite an enriching experience, as long as I'm not broke, you know. I'm not destitute right now, physically. I'm not not in bad health. So I have a, a level of comfort, and it's like, it's like the room to riff, so to speak, yeah? I have a real joy during the day hearing, you know, notes from birds from here, feeling the sense of the wind cooler in Tam Valley than in San Rafael. There's tons of beautiful flavors and shades occurring, yeah? Of the only one, of the only mind. I don't see, I'm not in, I don't see any dispute about that. It's nice when you're open enough to enjoy it, when you can. Yeah, maybe I'll be bedridden next week, and I'll have to enjoy it in a different way. But while I'm, I'm able to roam around, it's great to have that possibility of roaming around. Yeah, and what nicer thing to do than to have a meeting like this, where you can share a nice space and uh, feel a little lighter, a little buoyant as you bounce around in your day. Yeah, and I think it's contagious, actually. I do. Because mind knows, mind's aware. It just needs a couple of clues here and there. Yeah. I hope to, to the best I could ever hope for that this is just a minor clue that we hold on Saturdays. Really. Yeah, so like you said, just looking at it, you know, at let's say yourself, you know, kind of uh, what becomes obvious is how what a flimsy storyline that is that's just made up. Uh, that connected the memory of the past event or whatever, then projects the stuff in the future. And it's just like a story, that, you know, I continuously change, and, and it's sort of uh, um, it's impoverished because it's I'm limiting myself. Who I am is I don't know, but I mean it's really whenever I assert one thing, I'm denying another, you know, and sort of not asserting anything, you know, leaves you open to you know whatever. 
Yeah, it promotes rigidity for sure. Yeah, not flexibility. And the drive of conditional mind, one of the major ones is to be right. It likes to be right. And it can be right about misery just as much as other things. You know? So if you some people have a lot invested in familiar misery. They're not they're not very apt to give it up, even though they talk about they do anything to get out of it. If push comes to shove, their mind doesn't want to leave that parking space. They don't. They're very comfortable there. Yeah? You see how mind is the mind's reaction to its own dilemma. Some people become fatalistic, they give up. Yeah, like my mother. My mother was a powerful lady when I was growing up, and she's still powerful, she was. But uh, my father died, and my grandmother, her mother died when I was nine. And my mother worked for Liberty Mutual in Limbrook, Long Island, had to go to work every day, single mother. And we got poor, and her, at the end, what ended up, every day, I'd come home and she'd be on the couch drinking Schaefer beer, you know, a cheap beer back in Long Island, and she'd fall asleep and the TV would be on super low so it wouldn't bother the neighbors who had no, they would have to have x-ray hearing to hear it, you know, and she'd be out cold every night. So she'd work, come home, drink her Schaefer, and fall asleep in front of the TV. And then that was the same lady that, when she used to come home from work, would take us to the beach, and we'd all go swimming when the sun was going down on Long Island. And all of she was very vivacious and this and that. And some aspect of mind, you know, alcoholism, you know, latched on like a parasite and just sort of drained her out of a lot of life. And then she came back when she was put in, we put her in a senior citizen home, and she started doing service there. She got into a, she had a phone tree that she called other people who were old that weren't in a senior senior's house. They do calls. And it kept her so alive, that service, she came back, yeah, because of service, of doing something for another person. It's, it's, such, an, it's such a reliable way to uh, provoke the mind from, to come out of that feeling of being a self, yeah, just to get out of yourself. Because she was alive again. She's helping people and this and that, yeah. It's like a resurrection in a way. But on the couch, it was just, everything was closing down, and misery was being very familiar, and she didn't want anything to change. She kept swearing, all she wanted for us to do is get her, you know, buy her a trip to Hawaii, yeah? So after years of hearing this, we finally did. Do you think she took that trip? No. She had no intention of going to Hawaii, she just wanted to bitch about not going to Hawaii. Make everyone guilty. But when put on the dime, she didn't go to Hawaii. Yeah? <laughs> so you see. You see mind. Yeah? Yeah? Uh, well, I'd like to come to the defense of addiction. Yeah. As I understand the way you use the term is addiction is something, if I don't get it, I want it. Like a drug, alcohol, sex, whatever. But I think there are other forms of addiction that are positive, like exercise. When I have a feeling if I don't exercise and work out for my weight, I feel uncomfortable. I want to do it. And I get the same thing for a Saturday morning meeting. That's another form of addiction, but it's positive. It one's a, really works. I don't have to think about it. It just, a feeling comes up. Now yeah. I have to do this. Yeah. I don't know if I would categorize that as an addiction, my, my definition of it. 
And addiction is, is you got to keep doing more and more and more and more and more. To have a certain level of exercise is helpful, but I don't have a huge desire to do five hours a day. No, right. You know, I just don't. So it's like has more of a sense of, yeah, and I'm not thinking about it. Like if I miss it, it's not the end of the world, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good habit, yeah. But addictions have an engine in and of themselves, yeah. And they can use exercise, they can use anything, really, for the mind to get addicted. Because it's not the activity, it's the mind's meaning that's given it, yeah? So let's say if exercising makes you feel good, that's great. And yet it may have a couple other things it's doing for the mind that the conditional mind thinks is valuable. I don't have to get in contact with a lot of people, I'm on my own, no one can bother me now, and whatever. Yeah, so you just... It's like everything in moderation is cool, but I've never seen an addiction that was moderate. It tends to sort of go to the extreme. Yeah? <laughs> At least for me it was. Yeah. So, yeah. Any questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well... So you hear that, that those notes, but what, there's also the hearing of the space or the silence around the note. That's always there, that silence, yeah? Which actually allows the note to be accentuated. Without the silence there, as the background, you wouldn't even recognize the note too well, yeah? The silence is what brings us the note. And yet, how much emphasis is on the silence? And how much does our mind follow the note and compare the note to an old note and just do its mental something, conceptualizing and subjectifying, when the beauty of it is the note also and the silence. But if one is determined by the other, I would say the note is determined by the silence, yeah? Not the silence by the note. You know what I mean? Yes, so that silence is the basis. Yeah. And to live a whole life not aware of the basis seems to be a, you know, you're missing out on something. Actually, you're missing out on nothing. Yeah? <laughs> Which to me is a big something. Really. You know? And it may be, for a peculiar someone, that one ingredient of becoming aware of nothing may be that whole thing, that whole apparatus needed to run in a satisfied, content manner. It was missing nothing. It's been driven to keep acquiring something and something and something, but what maybe it's missing is the ingredient called nothing. What's always so, let's add that onto the mix. Maybe that's what's missing, and for me, that was the, that was the clincher. That was the one. That was the last answer. That was the unspoken yes. Getting a sense of, of space was what was needed for me to travel here. Yeah? At a certain level of comfort. So there you go. That's that, and yeah.